So uh, years ago, a friend of mine named Alex uh, invited me. He called me up one day, and he invited me over to, the, to uh, his house on a Saturday morning. And he said, come over here if you want to play the biggest game of chess you've ever played. And so uh, I went over there on that Saturday morning. And uh, to my surprise, um, he had made coffee. He had cooked breakfast. And then we went outside and played chess on a chessboard this size. And so it literally was the biggest game of chess uh, I've ever played. And I want to clarify, too, we did not play on the largest chess pieces in the world. So I want you to see that. Okay. But, uh, again, you know, I was very happy that uh, he invited me over and I accepted the invitation. Now, today's message is called Ultimate Invitation. We've been working our way through the book of Matthew. And here we are at the end of chapter 11. And this is the part where it's going to include where Jesus uh, uh, ushers out the invitation. And we sang it a little while ago about come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And so we'll get to that after a while. Our three points today are going to be revelation, relationship, and rest. So if you have a Bible, you can be turning to the book of Matthew, chapter 11. But if you don't have one, I'll have the verses up here uh, on screen. And I still encourage you to go look at them later because uh, when, you, when you see God's word and when you read it and when you hear it, it just, it just does something uh, to your spirit. So again, our message is ultimate invitation. And our three points are revelation, relationship, and rest. So let's pray together and let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you, Lord. Um, you're always faithful. You really are an awesome God. Lord, I thank you that, um, that you know what we're like uh, when we're weak. And you promise us that when we're weak, uh, you're the one that can make us strong. And you do call to us. And you ask us, Lord, to come to you. So, Lord, I pray today that everyone listening, that that will be the attitude of our hearts, Lord, that we would say yes to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so our first point today is revelation. And here's a thought for you. The only way we can learn truth about God is if he reveals himself. I mean, think about it. He is almighty God. So if he wants to, he can remain undetected and he can remain silent. Or he can choose to intersect our day, intersect our lives, intersect with this world. He can give us a glimpse of who he is and what he's like. So we start out in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. And it says this, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. So let's just look over what Jesus says here. The first thing he says is, I thank you, Father. Now, at that time uh, in history, the, uh, the Jewish people, the, the Hebrew people, they had quite a few names for God. And I just want to give you a few of them here. Uh, some of the names for God, that they, how they knew God, uh, are one of them is El Shaddai which means Lord God Almighty. Another one is Adonai, which means Lord, Master. Another one is Elohim, which has the idea of Creator God. Now, think about their mindset. For centuries, those are the names they had called God. And along comes Jesus, and he says, 
Thanks, Dad. Because that's basically what he was saying as he spoke to God. And it makes you wonder, right? And it gives a little clarity why people would marvel and why other people would become offended. It was a brand new concept to call Almighty God by the name Father or Dad. And then Jesus said this. He says, I thank you, Father, you've hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. So. Uh, to get a little better understanding of what we're talking about here, this is actually spoken in contrast to his preceding words. And so uh, we need to go back a little bit uh, before this verse 25. Actually, we've got to look at some verses that Marcus preached on last week. And so we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. And here what we'll see is that Jesus um, upbraids these three these three cities and we're just going to read the passage and then and then hopefully it'll make sense to you. But here's what Jesus said, right? He says in verse 20, it says he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. So you get that idea. These miracles had taken place. And now Jesus is angry at these cities where the miracles had taken place. So it says he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 21, this is what he says, woe to you, Chorazin. And a little bit later, he says the same to Bethsaida. And then he says, if the mighty works done in you had been, been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 23, he says, and you, Capernaum, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So at this point, Jesus refers to a place called Sodom. Some of you are going to be familiar with the place. But the main the main thing that's historic about Sodom is this, is that the sin of Sodom had grown so great that it called for complete annihilation from God. Uh, If you read the story, you find out there's fire from the sky. It's one of the places that you can read about fire and brimstone. I think most of you have heard that phrase. The place went completely up in smoke. In fact, only three people survived. So I'm hoping that this next this next uh, chart will help you a little bit. Uh, but I want you to see the names of the three cities. Now, these three cities that Jesus is angry at, they existed in his day. Their names are Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And what he's saying is that is that so many miracles had taken place there, and still they refused to believe. So uh, I went back and, and looked up each city, like like through uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what I found is uh, I couldn't find any specific miracles that had taken place in the first one in, in Chorazin. But um, Jesus said that a bunch of miracles had taken place there. And so we can be sure that if Jesus said it, then it happened. But uh, in Bethsaida, I found a couple of miracles. One was in Mark 8 where it talks about a blind man that Jesus healed. Another one is in Luke chapter 9, and it says he healed many in Bethsaida. In Capernaum in Matthew 8, that's where Jesus healed the centurion's servant. You may remember the story where the centurion came to Jesus, and then uh, Jesus was going to go there, and the guy told him, you know, all you have to do is speak the word, like he had that much faith. And so Jesus uh, showed how uh, he could heal things from a distance. And uh, and he was able to heal uh, this guy's servant. And then the one in Mark chapter 2, uh, that's the story about the paralytic that they let down through the roof. Here's my point. 
And these three cities we're talking about, Jesus had done miracle after miracle, and yet they refused to believe. Um, and now Jesus is condemning them for their unbelief in spite of his miracles. There's a lesson to be learned here. You know, often we say seeing is believing. And here what we find is that the people of these cities, they saw lots of miracles. And yet they refused to believe. Well, now we can go back to verse 25, all right? Because it comes right after this passage. And so we're back in verse 25. And it says this, Matthew eleven twenty-five. At that time, right? So he just finished chewing out these three cities. It says that that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, right? So he's talking about the people in those three cities and people like that who regardless of what God does, they refuse to believe. But then he says this, you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So he begins with giving thanks. And then he talks about how these things have been hidden from the wise and understanding. And he's talking about the wise and understanding with worldly wisdom. Okay, wise by the world standards. Uh, these three cities, like we mentioned, they had not believed. Their attitude was, I don't need anything that God has spoken. In contrast, Jesus talks about how Jesus has, um, God has revealed the truths to children. And what he's talking about is not just, not just small children, but he's talking about those of us who have a childlike heart and are willing to believe. We have a receptive attitude. Um, I think about this, you know, th- there's a, a coloring book. It's, it's a magic book. And sometimes people, I think you can buy them at the dollar store, but it's like a, it's like a little coloring book. And, and I mean, it works on little kids. Anybody else would not believe it. But you show them the coloring book one way, and it just looks like a regular brand new coloring book. But then you flip the pages the other way, and all the pages suddenly are magically colored. And when you watch little kids about about the age of kindergartners, I mean, their eyes are filled with wonder. And that's the attitude God wants us to have when we hear about the things he has done, when we hear his word. He wants our hearts to be open to him and to be receptive to the things of God. He wants us, I mean, even if you've heard it a million times, to stop every day and just think about some of the simple things that are awesome. God really loves us. He's really sent a savior. Our savior really paid a price for us that no one else could pay. That kind of thing should excite us all the time. Now, this same concept is found years later when the apostle Paul uh, was writing to the Corinthians. So we see this in first Corinthians chapter one, verse 21. He says this. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to say, uh, to save those who believe. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world 
to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If you look around the room, and if you think about most believers, not all believers, but most who come to Christ, there's not many wise by worldly standards, right? It's not many wise by worldly standards, not many powerful, not many noble. And then God tells you that he chose the low and despised. In verse 29, he specifies, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God has chosen the least likely so that when we're connected to him, he can do something supernatural and he gets all the glory. The same idea is further illustrated in the book of Acts. So at this point, um, Christ has gone up to heaven and the Holy Spirit has come. Uh, Peter and John get arrested and they're surrounded by all these religious leaders and um, they should have been afraid. This is what it says in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they, and they is the religious leaders, right? Trying to intimidate Peter and John. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And remember, those guys are just fishermen, right? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus. I think that's one of the things that infuriated the religious leaders at the time is because they were outsmarted and outdone by common, uneducated people. Same idea in Psalm 8, verse 2. It says this, Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. I love that phrase, out, out of the mouth of babies or, or, or babes. Um, I think about um, one time when, uh, when my oldest daughter was about three or four years old. Uh, we were Christmas shopping and we were looking at Christmas cards. And, um, and this, uh, I mean, you never know what kids are going to say, right? Especially when they're that small, you know. And so, but again, she was about three or four. And then this elderly lady came up and looked at Kristen and she says, Oh, hi, sweetie. What is Santa Claus going to bring you? And Kristen looked at this lady and she says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. <laughs> and the lady, her glasses were like this. And she looked at me. She goes, how nice. And she bolted. <laughs> okay. You never know. You never know what kids are going to say, y'all. Um, let's recap what we've gone through so far. Christ gives thanks to the Father, that he has revealed the truth to those with childlike faith, to the least likely, okay? And that's the thought you got to keep in mind, how God calls the least likely so that he can be glorified. Um, years back, we ran a church that, uh, that met at the YMCA, and I got, I got asked one time to speak at a, um, it was just a big meeting, um, that the YMCA had, and there was about 200 people there. And so um, one of the managers at the YMCA was going to introduce me, right? And so I'd written up a little bio. And so, you know, Connie and I were there together. 
she's laughing already. She knows the story. Anyway, we're there together. And, uh, and so the guy gets up before I speak, you know, he, 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 uh, he's at the podium and he starts reading what I'd written. So he talks about, you know, I'd been to LSU and done youth ministry and been a hospice chaplain. But then he went off the notes and this is what he said about me. He said, Miguel is a model of physical fitness in the community and uh, you know, children and adults alike can see him working out regularly at the Y. When he said that, I didn't show it on my face, but I looked up at the clock and I thought, if I'm lucky, I mean, this because the rest of the meeting was going to take about an hour. I thought, if I'm lucky, Connie's going to forget what he just said, right? So, sure enough, the rest of the meeting takes about an hour. And, uh, you know, finally, you know, as we're leaving the meeting, we're shaking hands and saying, you know, bye to folks. She and I walk to the car. We get in the car. And before my key hits the ignition, Connie looks at me and she goes, a model of physical fitness. (laughs) My cheerleader. (laughs) God, God reveals himself to all. But. He chooses the unlikely and the undeserving so that he can be glorified. Next point today is about relationship. Now, growing up, uh, I was pretty religious and I had beliefs about God, but I'd never heard the idea that you could have a relationship with God. When I thought about God, I thought about religion and I thought about rules and it wasn't until I got to college, in fact, at LSU, that I, I started meeting different believers my age, just regular people, guys and girls. And what I noticed about them was they would talk about this relationship with God, this relationship with Christ. And it was a brand new concept to me. But sure enough, that's what God wants, y'all. So let's look at Matthew uh, 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So you see right there, the part that I've underlined. I mean, what Jesus was saying is that God is the initiator. God's the one that begins that relationship. If you're going to have a relationship with God, God is the one that takes the first step. Now, you know what? Here in America, we don't like that thought, okay, because we like to feel like we're in control. Um, but we don't like that idea that God's the one that seeks us out. God's the one that finds us, and we're actually not the ones that find him. Here's an interesting thing. In other nations, not all of them, but in a lot of them, uh, they have no problem with this idea, okay, that, that, well, sure, yeah, God's the creator. And so, you know, he's the one that would be uh, the initiator. Now, in other nations, if you think about it, a lot of other nations, they're war-torn, right? There's poverty, there's suffering. So they don't have a problem with God being in authority like we do here, okay? What they actually have a problem with is believing that God loves them. And that makes sense, right? You know, if they, if they have, if their country's war-torn, if there's poverty and suffering, that would be a harder thing to believe. But here in America, it's the opposite. You know, we think, Right. We're kind of me centered in this country. So we think, well, of course, God loves us. I mean, we're Americans. We're adorable. Right. Isn't that the attitude? Um, 
Scripture teaches that God is the one that takes the initiative. Like it or not, God is the one that takes the first step. And you know what? You actually believe that more than you realize. Okay? I want you to think about this. Think about when you know somebody who is distant from Christ, what is the first thing you start doing for that person? You start to pray for him, right? Why do you pray for him? Because somewhere instinctively you know that God's the one that has to draw them to himself. God's the one that has to open their eyes, get them interested and kind of reel them in. So deep down, you really do believe God really is. He really is the initiator. Um, if you're a believer, I want you to think about it this way. If you are a believer in Christ, if there was a day that you came to a point of faith and you trusted Christ, well, if you think back, there were events that led up to that decision. There were people that you met. There were messages that you heard. If you think back to before you met Almighty God, before you began that relationship, you can look back and you can see that he was already orchestrating events to move you towards him. God was looking for you. I love to hear people's stories of how they came to Christ. And some people feel bad that they don't have an exciting conversion story. But to me, I love every story where even if someone was a child and they were raised in church and then they realized I need the Savior and they and they trusted Christ. But I still want to tell you one of my one of the craziest stories I've, I've ever heard. It was actually a friend of ours uh, that lived in um, in Walker. His name was Wayne Verrett. And this is his conversion story. This is how he came to Christ. People had been talking to him about God, and he just kept it at arm's length. And he and his girlfriend at the time, which he eventually married, uh, they were driving around one night, um, and he had his windows down uh, in his car, and he showed up at a, at a grocery store. Well, while he's outside uh, and the car was still running, somebody came up and put a gun inside the window and pointed it at him and told him, give me your money. And Wayne told him, I don't have any cash. And the guy pulled the trigger and nothing happened. And the guy looked at his gun like he was surprised. In that instant, while the guy looked at the gun, Wayne hit the gas and took off. He heard gunshots. And when he um, and his wife-to-be, Lisa, when they stopped the car, he looked and there were there were bullet holes in his car. Now, when he tells his story... He tells you, God was looking for me. <laughs> and I believe it was about a minute later that he trusted Christ. Okay. My point is, y'all, God is the initiator. He's the one that takes the first step. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus speaking of himself says this, for the son of man came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. In Romans chapter two, it says this beginning at verse four. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, right? God's kindness first. He moves first. If you remember the story of the garden way back in Genesis, um, remember Adam and Eve had sinned. Do you remember what they did, right? They went and they hid. What did God do? Genesis 3 verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? 
Same idea is stated in a more negative way. In Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, it says this, As it is written, and here God describes all of us. So get ready. He says this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. If you're a believer, if you've trusted Christ, He is the one that found you. He wants a relationship with you. Now, years ago, um, Connie and I were on, on a cruise together. And um, uh, everywhere we go, we just pray, right? That's just what we do. We love Jesus, right? He, he just comes with us, you know. He can't escape him. And we want him around, you know, So uh, especially on a cruise. So anyway, so here we were. And, uh, and Connie met this couple. And uh, the lady's husband was an ex-music uh, pastor, worship pastor. And uh, just through the her first conversations with them, she could tell that he had left the ministry and uh, had had a pretty bad experience. And so uh, so now the four of us are together having some dialogue. And then, you know, Connie uh, was talking to the lady and I was talking to the guy and I, I could pick up. Yeah, there's definitely some hurt there. But little by little, in between the lines, I realized That even though he had been in full-time ministry, y'all, even though he had been working for a church for years, it dawned on me that he did not understand how to begin a relationship with Christ. Okay? I hope that doesn't sound judgmental. I wasn't trying to be ugly. As I listened to him, what I thought was, this guy's religious. He seems like a good man, a nice man. He had tried to serve God, but I thought he really doesn't even know God. And I threw that thought out to him and I told him, you know, God wants a relationship with all of us. And you could see it made him uptight to hear it. And I wasn't trying to do that. Right. I was just trying to share a simple idea. You know, God wants a relationship. God extends an invitation to all of us. And the guy looked at me and he says, is that even biblical? And I said, well, The most famous verse in the Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Before I was finished, the verse, he turns to the waitress. You know how they walk by on a cruise and he says, I need a drink. And the lady looks at him and she says, well, well, sure. What what kind of drink do you want? He goes, I don't know. I don't even drink. Okay, that really happened. Y'all look, I was not I was not trying to make the guy uptight. I thought I thought this is the simplest thing to let him know. God invites us all to have a relationship with him. But the fact is, y'all, some of us say yes to God and some of us push him away. Our third point today is rest. Now, the reason I entitled today's message, the ultimate welcome is because of something Jesus said. And I mentioned it earlier that we, we sang about a little while ago. So let's read that. Matthew 11, verse 28. This is where he says it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. I mean, before I say anything else, doesn't that sound good? (laughs) Sounds awesome. 
Verse 28, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. So I want us to look at those two words, uh, the two ideas, labor and heavy laden. So when I looked it up in the uh, original languages, here's what I found. The word labor uh, is defined like this, toil, laborious toil involving weariness and fatigue. You ever feel like that? Heavy laden means this, a burden which must be carried by the individual. That is, as something personal and hence is not transferable. It cannot be shifted to someone else. That's what it means to be heavy laden. So who fits this description? Those who labor and are heavy laden. You know what I think of? I think of any of us here who are doing the Lord's work. Right? We're laboring and we're heavy laden. Uh, Sometimes we feel weary or fatigued. And we carry a burden that we can't transfer to somebody else. Right? There's a task that God's given each of us to fulfill. Um. Again, a few weeks ago, uh, Marcus I forgot his name. I was going to call him Matthew. But anyway, the other pastor over there, <laughs> he, uh, he preached on Matthew chapter 9. And I wanted to read that passage to you because it's talking about laborers. It says this, Matthew 9, verse 37. Then he, meaning Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So... We're called to pray, right? That God would send out laborers. But then in the very next chapter, Jesus gets specific. And he says this in Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you. So he calls us to pray for laborers. But beyond that, as believers, he calls us to actually be the laborers, y'all. Those who labor and are heavy laden. Do you ever grow tired? From serving the Lord. You don't have to nod your head. I'm just just asking. Right. Do you ever feel wiped out. Fatigued. Like there's no end in sight. Do you ever feel like your service to the Lord. Is not bearing fruit. Do you ever feel emotionally. Or spiritually drained. Or maybe you're surrounded by those who make fun of you. Or mock you. Or try to discourage you. You ever feel like that. Because Jesus calls to you. I'm going to read that part again. In chapter 11 verse 29. He says take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. For I am gentle. And lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Sometimes I think. We make Christianity. Harder than it has to be. You know. I think of Mary and Martha. Uh, and the stories about them, the, the two sisters of Lazarus and how um, Mary, right? You know, there's plenty she could have been doing when he showed up at the house. But she chose just to sit at his feet and just enjoy that relationship, to enjoy that rest. But I think, too, sometimes, uh, I think sometimes, now listen carefully, sometimes work can be draining. But sometimes we can be doing work and it can be therapeutic, right? So that's the kind of work I'm talking about here. Uh, I think about Peter, you know, when they were waiting for Jesus to appear again. And then Peter 
told the other guys, I'm going fishing. And then they followed him, you know, and then they went fishing and they waited. And then lo and behold, Jesus shows up on the beach with food. (laughs) Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Doesn't that fit us in our society? Right. God has to make you right. Makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Jesus promises rest to his sheep. Now, that brings us to our application. So just three thoughts for you today. Number one, God has revealed himself. Have you said yes? Do you understand that Christ died for all your sins? I mean, your sin is what separates you from him. Do you understand that? That Christ died for all your sins, even the sin you hadn't committed yet. And he wants you to put your faith in him and no one else, in him and him alone for salvation. That's why he's called the Savior, to trust him and him alone. Have you said yes to him? Second thought is, he's available. Is your relationship with God growing? The third thought is this. He is given the ultimate invitation Are you resting in him? Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you. The promises you make to us, Lord. And you call to us. And you tell us, come to you. And you'll give us rest. Lord, I pray you would help us understand you. And understand your ways. Help us love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.